you have no idea how good it is to be in Texas. Uh, we had all kinds of crazy stuff that would happen <clears throat> while I was in Israel. Um, we're seven hours ahead of you guys when we're in Israel, and so we would go to bed, and then all this stuff would happen, and President Trump would say some things, and the next morning I, I was with this group from Livingston, Texas, this youth group, so their parents would be bombarding us with texts and emails. What are you going to do? How are you going to get out of the country? And it was, it was kind of crazy, uh, but we had a great time. We ended up staying the whole time, didn't have to change any flights. We got back. We didn't get quarantined. Uh, Caleb was saying to uh, the family, well, you know, if dad gets quarantined over there and then he gets quarantined here, that's a month dad's going to be gone. And Rachel's like, you're not helping the situation, you know. Uh, the different personalities of my children came through uh, during this kind of crisis. But <clears throat> we didn't know how many people would show up today. Uh, we had a good first service, and we're glad that you're here today. We, we're just going to take precautions. We're going to do some, some chicken wing bumps or fist bumps or air hugs or whatever. We're going to do crazy hand hygiene. That's what we were doing on the trip. Um, I had hand sanitizer, and I had uh, disinfectant wipes, and we would wipe down. So hundreds of people on the plane, they're wiping down their headdress and everything they were touching, and we were washing hands, and we, we, we were just pumping out that, that hand sanitizer. Every time the youth group got back on, we're saying, don't touch your, your face, and I would walk around with my hands in my pockets every time we'd go into a shop, you know, and so I wouldn't be tempted to touch anything than touch my face. It got crazy. But, uh, but we're back, and we had a great time, and, and we're grateful that, that we did. But I want you to be praying for Israel because the folks that are there are being devastated because there's no tourism. This is the beginning of the high season. They depend on this for their money. Our taxi driver on Thursday that took us back from, from um, the Wailing Wall to uh, our, our guest house that we were staying in had just purchased this van, the seven-pastor van, and... Um, he said, I'm not going to be able to make payments. I've had it for four months. I'm going to have to give it back because there's no way I can, I can uh, pay, make these payments. We were supposed to go to Bethlehem. The Palestinian Authority, the first day we got there, said we can't go to Bethlehem. So this group didn't get to go there. And, and they showed pictures of the streets in Bethlehem. Nothing. Absolutely no one is there. And so it doesn't just affect us when something like this is going on. It affects people in other parts of the world. It's a, it's a ripple effect. <clears throat> So today we're continuing our series um, on starting point and, and how cool that I got to spend the last 10 days in the place where our faith started. It was awesome, and I hope you'll pray about going with us next year. Uh, we want to take as many people as possible. At least once in your lifetime, you really should go to the Holy Land because it will change the way you read the Bible. And these teenagers, it was so cool, standing outside the uh, garden tomb, we had the Lord's Supper, and we prayed about that, whether we should even do that. And we questioned them, we quizzed the people there. How do you prepare it? Do you wash your hands? And like, yes, we wash our hands. We washed our hands. Uh, we did take the Lord's Supper, and it was so powerful to be in the place where, where many people believe Jesus was, was um, laid in the tomb and that he resurrected from the dead. So cool. I want you to do that. But we thought, we thought there's so many people in our world that walk away from their faith at some point in their life that we really need to ask the, the question, how do we start again? How do you start afresh? And so that's what this series is about. And week one in this series, we said, who is Jesus? We're Christians. If we're little Christ, if we're followers of Christ, we need to know who Jesus is and why he came from heaven. And so week two, if Jesus had to come from heaven and, and become a man, why did he do that? It's because of sin. Week two was um, what is sin? Week three, we started looking at where did, the, where did this whole thing that the Jews believe, that now Christians believe, where did it start? And we met a man named Abraham, and God said to him, um, look at the stars of the sky. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And when he was 100 years old, he has his first son, and he says, I believe and God credited it to him as righteousness. And so that's where all of these three major faiths start, and that's where these major faiths go differently. Uh, Muslims and, and Jews and Christians all believe that it started with God. 
going to a man named Abraham and, and this belief thing, that's where it started. And then, then they, they go very different directions. So today we're going to talk about the role of rules because every time you get into some type of religion, there's always those pesky rules, right? And have you ever noticed that you don't get to be the one who makes the rules? There's always somebody else that makes the rules you got to follow. Because think about it, if we were to make the rules in our religion, who would benefit from our rules? Us, right? That's why we don't get to make the rules. So on Thursday, I'm standing outside of what is considered the tomb of David, King David. This is so bizarre to me. This, this, they didn't even build this tomb until hundreds of years um, after Christ, not just after David. Thousands of years after David, they built this tomb, and they said, oh, this is where David's bones are. And then somebody actually in the 1800s went and checked, and there's no bones there. But, but people still go, and so I'm, I'm, just, I'm standing in this room going, this is bizarre. And so there's these books over here, and there's all of these Orthodox Jews, and when they come in, they'll get a book, and they'll walk up, and they'll go next to this, this empty tomb and, uh, <laughs> that's not supposed to be empty and they'll take their prayers and they'll start praying and they'll put their shawl on and then one guy actually came, there's this big cabinet so here's King David's empty grave and over here is this cabinet and so I went out and I asked this rabbi, I said, what's in the cabinet? I knew because we went to a Messianic Jewish service and we saw him pull the Torah, which is the law written by Moses, we saw him pull it out and they walked around with it and so I knew what it was but I just wanted to strike up a conversation. I said, what are they doing? And he said, well, the Torah is in there, and, that, and it always faces the temple. And I said, ah, I didn't know that. Started asking him questions. He said, you seem like a seeker of the truth. And I thought, well, yeah, I think I found it, but, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. And so he said, let me give you a card. He gives me a card, and he says, we have summed up the teachings of Moses into seven statements. And I thought, well, you know, there's a Ten Commandments, but I've never seen the seven statements before. So he gives me this card, and the first one says, um, you shall have no other gods before me. I thought, okay. I'm still thinking, how's he going to summarize 10 into 7? But, but I, get, I get down to around number 4 and number 5, and I just start going, what? Because um, I think number 5 says, be kind to animals. And I thought, that is not in the Old Testament. We, we sacrifice animals, but there's no be kind to animals. And then number 7 was, seek justice. And I thought, that is not in there. So we had this long conversation. It was the most bizarre conversation we could ever have. He actually said that Moses was divine, which means he's God, but, but we can't pray to people because you people pray. You don't believe in the same God. You believe, we believe there's only one God. I said, so do we. Oh, no, no, no. You don't believe because you also believe Jesus. Yeshua is God. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, you got me there, but they're one God. You know, we just finally, we walked away from him because he would not listen to a th single thing. We said he had reinterpreted the old Testament or actually his rabbi had started this whole thing called Orthodox uh, Jewish faith that is not even orthodox. It's not like the real Jews. It's bizarre. There are always rules, and his rabbi made up these rules, which are very different from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is exactly, the Old Testament we have in our Bible is exactly the same Old Testament that the Jews have. Um, but they had reinterpreted it. Now, I grew up in a Jewish home, a uh, Jewish home. I grew up in a Christian home. No, I didn't grow up in a Jewish home. I grew up in a Christian home. And every, and we went to a fundamental Baptist church. And, and so I remember no matter which church we went to, we later went to First Baptist, everybody would be arguing over rules. And in the, in the fundamental Christian church, the, the missionary Baptist is who it was, we had this one rule that said women could not wear pants. And we argued and argued and argued about that. I was only like six years old. But I remember sitting at the table eating my chicken leg, just looking back and forth, and everybody's arguing about... Whether women should wear pants. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing ever. 
And another rule that we had was men should not have long hair or facial hair. And my brothers, being Washburns, were like, don't you think Jesus probably had long hair and and facial hair just because it was practical? Not because it was trying to be a hippie. It's just it was a practical thing to do back then. And I remember going, this is weird, you know, eating my chicken leg, watching this whole thing. And, And then another thing that we argued about was whether women should wear makeup. And, and this was a huge thing in the church until this one pastor came. He stood up in the pulpit and he said, well, my opinion is if an old barn needs painting, you might as well give it a coat of paint. And that ended that debate. We're like, okay, paint it, you know, paint those faces. Until the next preacher came and he had his set of rules and we argued about his rules. It's bizarre. And then we went to First Baptist and it was a little bit better, but then I found out there were rules there too. And then I, I, I found out some of my friends were Catholic. Well, they had a very different set of rules. And then I had some that were Methodist, and they had a set of rules, and Presbyterian, and Church of God, and, and, and a Pentecostal. And I'm going, which rules are right? This is crazy. There's all these rules. And then one time, um, I had broken up with this girl, and, and she got mad at me, and then she found out that I had been drinking alcohol. And so she went to a friend of mine, and she said to this friend of mine, I can't believe, Doug, he used to be a good guy, now he's drinking alcohol. Da, 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 da. And my friend, who was of a different denomination, said, well, don't come complaining to me, sister. We take a good belt of wine every time we take the Lord's Supper. And so we're going, whose rules are right? Isn't it true that rules are what you bump up against, and rules are what you rebel against and, and why many of you maybe walked away from your faith at one time or another is because the rules were just so confusing. Today we're going to talk about this, the relationship between rules and religion and, we're, and to put it in the context of our series, we're going to ask it this way. What is the starting point for our understanding of rules and God? Where, why did they start? Why did God have rules? Where did they start? That's what we're going to ask today. And we're going to say this. This is our premise for the rest of this talk today. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. Say that again. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. This is true in a church. There are rules. If you want to be in leadership at New Life, there are certain rules you got to follow. If you're going to be in the band, there are certain rules. If you're going to be on the board, there are certain rules. If you're going to work with children, there are certain rules. It's true in every church you've ever been in. It's true in college and dating and marriage in the work environment. If If you're subject to some rules, it means you have some kind of relationship with the person who made those rules. For example, when Janie and I were dating, we had a really poorly defined set of rules. And it basically was, because we never lived in the same town until we got married. And so the rule basically was, if Janie was in town, I dated Janie. And if Janie was at college, she dated somebody else, I dated somebody else. This worked great until the end of her sophomore year. And Janie decided to change the rules without telling me. And that ended our relationship. Uh, Now, what I didn't know, and praise God I didn't know, was she had this master plan. She was going to date around, you know, while she was in college for her first two years. And then wherever I was youth minister, she'd already made up her mind. She was going to transfer to the college closest to where I was youth minister. She was going to date me exclusively for the next two years and then marry me when she graduated college. I'm grateful to God I didn't know any of that stuff because I would have run. Now, so for about 14 months, we really didn't have a lot to do with each other except, except, she would call me every two to three months. She would always call on a Friday or Saturday night, about 7 p.m. And I would answer the phone. And, and so finally, one time I said, do you just expect me to be home alone every Friday and Saturday night? She goes, yep. And I went, hmm. 
So then we, we, you know, we didn't speak to each other for several months after that. And, and I really started praying. I'm like, God, I'm tired of the rules of dating. I don't like this. If you want me to be married, then, then I'm ready to, to pursue a woman that, that you want me to marry. If you want me not to be married and I'm just going to focus on ministry, that's okay. That's what I'm going to do. And so as I prayed, the more I prayed, and I'm, I'm not making this up, the more I prayed, the more I felt like the Lord was bringing Janie to, to my mind, and I just could not get her out of my mind. I'd go to church, and I'd pray, and then Janie, and I'd, you know, all of this stuff. And so I finally called her up, and I said, hey, I'd like to come see you this weekend. Well, you know Janie's rules and what she was, you know, assuming here. So she decides to test me to see if this is going to be the same way we used to do things or if this was a different relationship. So I said, I'd like to come see you this weekend. She goes, ah, I'm busy. And I said, okay, what about next weekend? No, I'm busy. Now at this point, I'm going, this girl doesn't want to see me. And, and it doesn't take much for me to go, okay. And so I said, how about the third weekend? And she said, I thought, I shouldn't push him any further. She goes, okay, you can come see me the third weekend. Now, um, I told you about her big plan, right? So I passed the test. I went to see her. And, um, and, and I, I, when I first saw her, I said, I'd forgotten how beautiful you were. And I laid this big fat kiss on her. And then we went up and we talked for hours and hours and hours. And so I'm sitting on her couch in her apartment. And I said, okay, I just got to tell you this. I'm not playing games. I'm not going to date you unless this has the possibility of me marrying you. Now, I didn't know her grand scheme. She did. She goes, fine with me. Four months later, I proposed to her on her birthday. Um, we got married six months after that. And this May 25th will be our 29th wedding anniversary. And I tell you all of that to say, whether you're in a casual relationship, there's rules. If you're in a serious relationship, there's rules. If you're engaged, there's rules. If you're married, there's rules. There's rules, and it, in any place you have rules, you are in some kind of relationship. Everybody clear on that? Okay. Uh, now, to understand this, we're going to look at three different models of, of rules, all right? So the first model we're going to look at is the family model. The family model. You were born into or you were adopted into some kind of family, and that family had rules, right? Now, they probably didn't have rules before you were born, but once you were born, that changed stuff. And because you were their child, they had rules. If you're going to live in this family, you're going to do it this way, whether you're born into, whether you're adopted into. You didn't have to fill out an application to be born to your parents to get into the family. The family said, you're here, and now we've got rules. And isn't it true that kindergartners need a very different set of rules than teenagers i just was in the holy land with teenagers I, if i get to go back this summer in july i'm going to be with 55 to 70 year olds it's going to be very different rules for the 55 to 70 year olds than the teenagers right your fam your parents would go wait this is something new new rule but the reason they made up rules is because you're in the family if you're going to live in this family you're going to follow my rules and let me tell you with this coronavirus trash i was very glad i was a united states citizen because at one point, the, the Israeli government on Tuesday, we're not supposed to fly out until Friday. On Tuesday, the Israeli com government comes out and says on Friday, 8 p.m., all foreigners are going to be locked down for two weeks. And if you're flying into the country, then, then you're going to have to self-quarantine for two weeks. If you can't self-quarantine, you're out of here. You don't even get to come into our airport. And so we don't know what that means. And then we read down and it says, um, we'll give those who are already in the country, we'll give you a few days in order to get out of the country. And it, but they never defined a few days. And so we're on Tuesday, we're supposed to fly out on Friday and we're going, ah, what do we do? And we're praying and, and the team is praying and, and, and I'm with praying Pelicans, so we can't leave until the team leaves. And so the team prays about it and they said, no, we're staying. And actually I was like, yes, let's stay. Woo it's gonna be great. God's gonna protect us, that whole thing. But here's the deal. So 
So then we get this email uh, on Thursday morning. We're about to go for our last day in, in old Jerusalem. And we get this email saying that President Trump has, has blocked all flights from foreign countries except for England and Ireland. And so here comes all of the emails and texts from the parents. You better get our children home, you know, that type of thing. Well, about 25 paragraphs down, I'm exaggerating, but way down in the article it says, this ban does not apply to U.S. citizens. And I said, I'm in. I get to come back. I'm a U.S. citizen. And so I was so pumped and I ran out and we were at our guest house and I said, hey, y'all read this, read this. We get to go back because we're U.S. citizens. We're, we're part of the family, so they're going to let us in. The rules are different from us. You get that? Rules in a family are different than those who aren't in the family. See, parents only set rules for their own kids, but wouldn't it be nice if you could set rules for kids who aren't your kids? Uh, you'd like to, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to say to the neighbor kid that drives you nuts, hey, dude, we got a rule as long as we're in this house, you don't get to come out of that house. If we ever move from this house, feel free to come out and terrorize the next group. But no, sucker, you're not, you're not going to do that. Well, wouldn't that be awesome? Put them on restriction. I'd love to do that. We never call our neighbors and say, have your kids finished their homework? Why not? What have you been doing? If you don't get them finished, I'm coming over and put everybody to bed. We don't do that, right? Rules are for people who are in your family. So here it is. Rules are for family members. Everybody clear on this? Second model is the club model. Ah, uh, this is very, very different. Here you follow the rules in order to get into the club. Think sorority, think fraternity. I'm not trying to slam those, those folks, but when I was a freshman and, and they came to our dorm at Baylor, they started, you know, trying to get different people to come to their different organizations. Well, me and my future roommate, Doug, lived across the hall, and we are so anti-following rules in order for somebody to say, you're okay, that we were like, we ain't getting in any fraternity. So some of our friends quit being friends with us because they had to impress the people in order to get into the fraternity. So we decided we were going to start an unfraternity. We actually did. We made a name, Lambda Gamma TLG stood for the lonely guys. That's about the time Steve Martin came out with his movie, The Lonely Guy. And so we, we made this whole thing up. We would wear t-shirts, TLG, Tall Lambda Gamma, onto campus. I am not making this up. Girls that would never give us the time of day because they were in sororities and we weren't in fraternities would say, what fraternity are you in? We're like, Tall Lambda Gamma. And they'd say, what's that? Step? And we'd say, The Lonely Guys. And they're like, we hadn't heard of that. We're like, yeah, we're new. We actually had an informal, which means we had a casual, not a formal. We had a casual. You were required to wear jeans, boots, and a T-shirt to come to our informal. It was awesome. We had this dance. And the only rule we had to be in the lonely guys, you had to have had a girl break up with you or break your heart. And, and so what you'd have to do, my roommate was so funny, Doug Still, you would have to get up on a chair and tell your heartbreaking story. And then we'd go, you're in, you know, it was that type of deal. Because we were so against following these rules. But you understand, in this model, you have to follow a set of rules. And they go, okay, because you've done those things, then you can come in. In the family model, rules are, are because you already have a relationship, then the rules come out. In this model, rules come first, you follow them. And if you break the rules, guess what? You out. You see the difference? Family model, club model. All right, we're going to have one more. This is the HOA model, the Homeowners Association model. Now, isn't it true, if you've ever been in one of these or if you've heard about these, you're never sure where you stand, right? So in the homeowners model, they can't keep you from buying a house, but they can tell you what you can and can't do once you have the house in the neighborhood. 
right? They can't um, keep you from coming into the neighborhood, but they can treat you so poorly. And usually it's just one person who gets to be a stickler of the rules. It's usually the president of the homeowners association who will say, you can't do that, you can't do that, can't do that until you wish you lived somewhere else, right? That's the HOA model. Now, when it comes to God, which one is it? Put them up there if you would, please. Is it the family model? Is it the club model? Is it the HOA model? If you read the Bible at all, you know it's the family model. But let me, let me just ask you this. Even if you were taught that it was the family model, were you ever made to feel like if you didn't follow the rules, you couldn't stay in the church? Have you ever been unclear on the rules and not sure where, where someone, even though they would say, oh, it's the family model, they would treat you in such a way, you're just not sure whether I should do this. Ah, what do I do? Right, anyone? Yeah, it's not supposed to be that way. <clears throat> Today, we're gonna look at some rules because people desperately wanna know which model is it? How can I know if I'm in? What the heck am I supposed to do to get in? That's what people are wanting to know outside these walls. So we're gonna look at the most well-known, well-documented list of rules in the history, I'm going to say in the history of the world. And if you were to guess what this list is, what would you guess it would be? It's the Ten Commandments. Now, you knew that, right? Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. Somewhere around 1450 B.C., so almost 1500 years before Jesus, the one true God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Now, everybody knows the name, but how many can you list? I forgot to do this. I, I, I know, you can probably do 10. You and Mary are the only ones I've ever, well, okay. Um, there's, the, yeah, I know, she taught all of these people. I actually did this one time. I actually had a $100 bill, and I said, I'll give 100 bucks if anybody can name all 10 commands. Good thing I didn't do that today because I would lose my $100. <laughs> Nobody in the church could do it because we know the name, we just don't know what's on the list. Uh, and if anybody were ever to ask you, where are the Ten Commandments? Some of you go, it's in here. It's in the Bible. Google it, right? If you don't know, well, I'm about to tell you. Say Exodus 20. Say Exodus 20. Say it again, Exodus 20. I want you to know, thank you. Cameron's back there. He's helping out. I want you to know where it's found, and we're going to look at it today. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that the three largest faith traditions, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, all believe that when God decided to enter into a relationship with humans, he started with Abraham. That's where all these faiths started. It's also where all these faiths um, go apart. Now, Abraham almost immediately messes things up with God's plan. Because Abraham hadn't had a child, his, his wife, they were past childbearing age, and so they decide to do something different. His smoking hot wife, Sarah, couldn't get pregnant, so Sarah comes up with this idea and says, hey, Abe, why don't you take my, uh, my, my slave, Hagar, and why don't you have sexual relations with her? Because if she has a child, then I'll adopt it as my child. And, and Abraham's like, okay, anything to keep you happy, you know, that type of deal. And, and so he does, and, and she has a child, and, and his name is Ishmael. And, and, and so two weeks ago, I read to you where he says, I don't have a child. Can Eliezer, my slave, can he be my heir? And God said, this man's not going to be your heir. So 11 years later, he has Ishmael, and he says to God, can Ishmael be my heir? And God says, this man will not be your heir. I'm going to bring you an heir through you and Sarah. Uh, and so Abraham has two different sons. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, this slide. 
So Abraham has two different sons. The one through Hagar, um, she has Ishmael, and Ishmael becomes the father of all the Arab nations. And, and God says to, to Hagar, he actually says to her, I'm going to bless your son, but he's not the child of promise. And your son is going to be this massive nation. It says it's going to be a wild donkey of man. And, and if you want the King James Version, just talk to Casey. He'll tell you what that says. But these wild donkey of... I'm joking there, okay. A wild donkey of a man, he's going to fight against everybody. And there's going to be a problem between Ishmael and Isaac. And that's going to start very soon. And so all of the Arab nations come through Ishmael, through Hagar. And then later when he's 100 years old, God says to Abraham and Sarah, well, actually when, they're, when he's 99, she's 90, he says, this time next year you're going to have a son. And they laugh because they're so old. Like, <laughs> God says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yeah, she laughed. So they named him Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. It's a great name. And this is the child of promise. And then Isaac gets married and he has Jacob. He has Jacob and Esau, but the Bible says God chose Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And these become the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And by the way, I was just there, right? So in Ezekiel, it talks about when God creates the new temple. God's going to make a new temple, the thousand-year reign, millennial reign. And that there's going to be 12 doors to enter the temple. And the, the names on each door is going to be one of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob to remind everybody that salvation comes from the Jews. The Bible says salvation comes from the Jews. And so he has these 12 sons, and one of those sons is named Joseph. And, and a few weeks ago, um, when we were in Me and My Big Mouth series, you remember we talked about Joseph. Well, here's the short version. Joseph had these 12 sons, and one of them was named, I mean, Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph, and Joseph's brothers hated him, and Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Interestingly enough, when he sold into slavery, do you know who the people were who came by and they sold him to? The Ishmaelites, right? So he sells him, goes to slavery. They sell him um, into slavery in Egypt, and he, long story, 22 years later, God makes him the prime minister of Egypt because all through the story, it says God was with him. God was with him. God was with him in prison in Potiphar's house when he was accused of rape. God was with him this whole time and eventually he becomes the prime minister and his brothers, you know, there's this famine. His brothers have to come. God just is such a God of details and he brings the brothers in and, and he finally gives them food and reveals who he is and he said, you meant to harm me. God meant it for good. All these people are being uh, saved because you did this, but God used it for the world's good. And then he says, bring my father down. And so about 70 Jews go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, they, they just grow huge into this nation. But they're slaves. For 400 years, they're slaves. And this whole time they're slaves, they would go back and they would, call, they would say, there was this man named Abraham. They would actually call him Father Abraham. And Abraham, through Sarah, had the child of blessing named Isaac. And they would just rehearse this. And God said to Abraham, I've got a land I'm going to give to you. And we believe that father, the promise to Father Abraham is going to come true and we're going to be free someday. We just have to believe. You have to believe and you have to believe. Well, in God's timing, a man named Moses shows up and he goes to Pharaoh. Remember Moses talks to God at the burning bush and God said, goes to Pharaoh and say four words. And I'm going to see if you know these four words. This is a famous phrase. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Let's try it again. God says, 
And Pharaoh says no over and over and over again. And God does miracles over and over and over again. Ten different plagues he sends upon them till finally Pharaoh says, get out. The Israelites do. Moses leads them. And just a little interesting side note. Did you know the name Moses appears more in the Quran, the book of, of the Muslims, than any other individual name? And Moses came through the line of Isaac, through the child of blessing. Just an interesting side note. Eventually, they wind up at Mount Sinai after they've come out of Israel, you know, about the parting of the Red Sea. Three weeks later, they end up at Mount Sinai, and God calls uh, Moses up on the mountain to give him the Ten Commandments. And where are these Ten Commandments found? Where are these Ten Commandments found? Thank you, Exodus 20. All these people have known as slavery for 400 years. They think like slaves. They act like slaves. God's about to give this new nation their very first set of rules, and it begins in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and here's what God says. And God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God. I highlighted this because don't miss this. Because if they're listening, the Israelites are listening, they're going, okay, you're our God. That means we're your people. You chose us. And God's like, yes, that's exactly right. Um, we've been in slavery these 400 years. You called Moses. You did these miracles through God. Then Moses kicks us out of Egypt. How did this happen? We didn't do anything to earn it. God says, you're exactly right. You did nothing. I did it all. He says, I'm the Lord, your God. Look at the rest of the verse. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. You did nothing. I brought you out. I got you out of slavery. You did nothing. I freed you. I'm the Lord, your God, who sent a deliverer. I did something for you when you've never, ever done anything for me. You could not earn anything from me. When it was such a distant, when Abraham was such a distant memory that everybody thought it was a fairy tale, God sends a deliverer. The Lord our God showed up, showed out, and gave us our freedom and our nation. And now what do we do? And God's about to tell them. God says, I'm going to tell you, but before I do, before I give you the rules, you need to understand you're mine. I chose you. You're my children. The children of Israel my children, you belong to me. Back when things were difficult and, and the first nine plagues in, in uh, Egypt, every time there was a plague, Moses would go, let my people go. Pharaoh would say, no, God would send a plague. The, the Israelites got really mad at Moses and at God because God is not delivering us at all. And, and Moses said, God wants you to trust him. But Moses, God says, trust me. But Moses, God says, trust me. See, the same thing God said to Abraham, remember? He said, if you believe, then your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven. The Bible says that Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. Hundreds of years later, he says to the Israelites, believe. All you have to do is believe and I'll do all the work. Belief always leads to action. And, and right before the final miracle, Moses says to the people, God says you're supposed to go get a prized lamb. You're supposed to kill that lamb. You're supposed to take some of the blood and you're going you're to dip the, the, hand, the hyssop into the blood. And you're going to paint it on this doorpost and at the top, and you're going to paint it on this doorpost. And you know church people would have gone, why do we need to kill? Why do we need, you know, Casey talked a couple of weeks ago about they, they made a mouth at, they were making a mouth at Moses. Why do we have to blood? He says, trust me. God says, trust me. Put the blood on the doorpost, eat a meal, pack your bags and get ready because you're leaving town tomorrow. What? It's been 400 years. Really, we're going to leave tomorrow? God says, trust me. That night, the death angel comes and every place there was blood on the doorposts. It passed over and the firstborn did not die. But everyone that did not, the firstborn died, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. Pharaoh was supposed to be a god and all 10 of these plagues made fun of one of Pharaoh's gods. And the last one was, Pharaoh, you're no god. 
your son is no God. And when that happened, Pharaoh says, get out, take everything you own. And by the way, you can have anything you want from us. And the Israelites plundered the Egyptians without ever raising a sword. They were slaves. They didn't know how to fight. But God said, you're my children. I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to bless you. So they left. And from that moment on, the Jewish people celebrated the Passover to remember not the Ten Commandments, not a list of rules, to remember when God said, you're my people, I want you to trust me. And if you trust me, I'm going to deliver you in ways you'll never believe. Three weeks later, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God says, now I'm going to give you some laws. I want you to know the most important thing. I am the Lord, your God. You are my people. That is first. Now, there's some things I need to tell you on how you get along with me, God says, and how you get along with each other. But you have to remember, you're my children first. And here's the first commandment. It's not a thou shalt not, it's a thou shalt. And here's what it says in verse 3 of Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, think about this. They have just watched 10 incredible miracles. They've just come out of, of Egypt with all of the, this, these, these riches that they never even worked for. They watched the Red Sea part, and God's feeding them, and he's taking them places where there's water. And he says, first rule, I'm the only God, no other gods besides me. And you know they're going, check that box. We'll never serve any other God besides you. We saw what you did to Pharaoh. Only an idiot would follow a different God. And it takes exactly... Seven seconds, yeah. One generation for them to forget God. And we get to the book of Judges. It said every man did what was right in his own eyes. It says after Joshua and all the elders who knew Joshua died, everyone turned their back on God and did what was right in their own eyes. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God rescue the Israelites from Egypt before or after the Ten Commandments? It's not a trick question. Before. You get out, then they go to Mount Sinai. That's when they get the Ten Commandments. Did God say, I'm your God, you're my people, before or after the Ten Commandments? Before. So before a single rule was given, God said, you're my children, you've done nothing to earn it, I've done everything for you. Now, the Ten Commandments were given by God 1,400 years before Jesus, 2,000 years before Muhammad. Before they even knew there were rules, he chose Abraham and he said, all of your children will be my children. God established this family model for people who want to be close to him. And since you are in my family by believing me, this is the way you get in the family, now there are some rules I want you to follow. And the very first rule, very first rule, I am the only God. God gives them the promised land, right? The promised land. To whom was the promised land promised? We just talked about Abraham and all of his descendants, yes. Long before there were any rules. So this is what I want you to understand. In the first covenant with Abraham, it's called the Abrahamic covenant, huh? Duh. This was an unconditional covenant. God says, you don't have to do anything, and I'm going to give you a land. We're going to call it the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. And so ownership of the land was unconditional. It's why in 1948, they started, you know, the, their independence, 1967, I think it was, when they were declared a nation again. They owned it the whole time. But here's the thing. So the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. The Mosaic covenant was very conditional. So possession of and enjoyment of the land was extremely conditional. You can own it, but if you want my blessing, you will follow me. And the number one rule, no other gods. And it took them seven seconds to, to turn their back on God and have all of these other gods. 
and, and they did what was right in their own eyes. So God sent them all of these prophets and he said, hey, get rid of your idols. God's number one rule for family members is have no idols. You've broken God's number one rule. You violated that rule. You're gonna get in trouble. Prophet after prophet goes to the, to the nation of Israel and says, God's about to put you in timeout. And he does. When they don't turn, he puts them in timeout in their land for almost 400 years. People would come in and oppress them, and then they'd go, oh, man, what we're doing is wrong. God, help us. God would help them. They would get rid of their idols. Then they'd turn their back on God again. It would just happen over and over and over until finally God put them in timeout in Babylon for 70 years because they did not listen to him. Possession of enjoyment in a land, very conditional. And God cured them of their idolatry in Babylon but he did not cure them of their hard hearts. That's why in Ezekiel it says, when God creates this new temple with the 12 doors that are named for the 12 tribes, God says to them, I will put a new heart in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Got rid of the idolatry, but not the hard heart. Um, so in, in the history of Israel, God never gave up on his children because they're his children, the family model. We don't give up on our children. It's not the club model. It's not the HOA model. Which one is it? Which model did God show? The family model. So here's how we're going to say it. With God, relationship precedes rules. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. But with God, relationship precedes rules. So what is the role of rules? We're going to say it this way. Rules are confirmation of not a condition of a relationship with God. You don't get in the family of God by, by following rules. You get in the family of God by believing he adopts you. And if you have rules from God, it means you are his child. The rules are not for people who are not his children. Once they're adopted, then the rules show up. Okay, so we believe that's the, that's the deal he gave to, to the Jews. Are we included in that? Absolutely. We get the same deal. And we know that because of what he said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That all peoples, that's us. That's the Gentiles. We get the same deal. It's through believing. When we were in Israel, this, the trip leader was named Linda, and Linda had been to Israel a couple of times, and she had arranged everything. So she had the bus. She had the guest houses. Um, she had the hotel. When we got to the hotel in the Dead Sea, it was actually closed because of the coronavirus, and the guy comes out you know, running out. As soon as I step off the bus, no, get back on the bus. You're not here. I'm like, we have reservations. No, you don't. We've moved, you've been moved down the road. And we're like, okay. Because of the coronavirus, it was crazy. But Linda had all these relationships, even where we were going to eat in Old Town, Jerusalem. So Old Town is where the walls are. I'll be showing you some pictures in the weeks ahead. And so there's this place where we're going to go eat. And this guy is a Muslim. He's Arab. And, and the first, so we went to eat there as a staff. So I'm there with two other people from PPM. We're getting everything ready before the team gets there. We ate there. And, and this guy named um, uh, Ahmed says, you're my brother. And it was because of Linda. He sees Linda. She walks up. He goes, Linda, my sister, hugs her. Once we ate there, he said, you're a family now. And so when our whole team came later, he says, oh, my brother. And I'd say, hey, he said, no, you're my brother. You, you're, you're my friend. You're my brother. And it's all because of what Linda had done. Everywhere we went, we even, well, I didn't, but some of the team got on a camel named Spicy. Because she had met Muhammad, who owned Spicy the year before. And she said, I'll be back next year. When he, she gets off the bus, one year later, he goes, Linda, you came back, my sister. I benefited from all the relationships Linda had. Simply by knowing her, everybody said, you're included in my family. It's the same thing with God. If you're in the family, all the blessings, all the benefits are yours. 
then you follow the rules. So God said to Abraham, trust me. 1,500 years later, Jesus shows up. And he says, whoever believes will have everlasting life. And then John, the apostle John, who knew Jesus better than anyone, uh, the apostle John, when Jesus is on the cross, he looks down and he says, this woman, he's talking about his mom, is now your daughter. And he says to, uh, is now your mom. And then he says to his mom, this son, this man is now your son. That's, that's the John I'm talking about says this in John chapter one, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed, they did what? They didn't earn it. They believed in his name. He gave them the right to become members of the club. Members of the Homeowners Association. What did he give them the right to become? Children of God. Can I tell you, after being in, in the starting place of our faith, where there are Muslims building churches right across from Christians, and there's Armenians building. No, Jesus, Jesus walked on water here, and, and, and this other group says, no, he's here. And, and oh, my goodness, we went to this place where supposedly the footprint of Jesus is in this rock, and we had to pay money to go look at this rock. And I'm going, how do you know that's his footprint? Well, it's the last place Jesus was. They, they just build these monuments. There's no relationship. There's nothing but Darkness in the land where our faith started. And we're called to pray for, and if possible, to go ourselves and, and, and bring a light to the children of Israel, the Hebrew people. Can I tell you there's no God like our God? So these teenagers, we're, we're at the garden tomb and they tell us why they think this is the, the place. And we had a major breakthrough. Once these kids, we had the Lord's Supper out there. We're singing, we're worshiping, and these kids are just, they, some of them said, you know, I'd always heard the stories, but now I believe because that tomb is empty. And, and we don't know for sure that's where Jesus' tomb was, but the point is the tomb's empty, and it's the only world religion where the founder of that religion rose from the dead. The only religion where you go to the founder's grave and he's not there. There's no God like our God. So I want you to ask each other this question. Discuss this. Growing up, go ahead, next slide. Growing up, did you feel like religion was based on the family model, the club model, or the HOA model? I just, not now, but when you were growing up. And here's a great question that you can ask people who are far from God. Just, just start paying attention, and God will bring some people into your life, and you can ask them, hey, what's your background in religion? We're talking about this at church, and I'm just curious. You don't, have to, you don't have to believe. Just tell me, did you believe that a relationship with God was the family model, the, the club model, the HOA model? And just see where that conversation takes you. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you that there is a starting point of faith, and you've made sure that we have an accurate record of that. And people are distorting it, and there's darkness in this world. But you've given us the light of Christ and you've told us to take it to the ends of the world. So help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.